We're going to look at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11 this morning, kind of an overview and a look at some things about this, this ministry of proclamation that God has called us to, a ministry that Kent prayed about this morning, and just uh, what, a, what a wonderful kind of tying all these things in of the things we're talking about here on this Resurrection Sunday. Luke is uh, writing the book of Acts. It's a continuation of the gospel of Luke. Luke ended in Luke chapter 24 describing the resurrected Christ and his ministry. And then as we come into the book of Acts here in the New Testament, we see that the story of Jesus' ministry uh, continuing. His, His earthly ministry is coming to a close and now the Holy Spirit is beginning to, to minister, testifying to the resurrected Lord through the apostles. And we begin to see that in verses 1 through 11. And so if you're able to, if you would stand with me this morning in honor of God as we read his word together. Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, I'm reading from a translation of the Bible called the English Standard Version. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took them out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand up, stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who is taken up From you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. You may be seated. May God encourage us through his word this morning. And Heavenly Father, we do pray this morning, thanking you for this Resurrection Sunday, a special time for us as a church to think about you and the story of your your life, death, the the story of your son's life, death, and resurrection, and we, we trust in him. This morning, we pray just for your grace and peace on our lives. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as many of you remember, a few weeks ago, I was losing my voice. And I don't think of myself as a person who talks a lot. I mean, Sunday morning obviously being an exception. But I don't think of myself as a person who who's just a, a big talker. But I found myself... Over and over uh, the, the past few weeks when I wanted to say something, just, just feeling kind of the constraints of not being able to talk. And In fact, I'd, I'd be in kind of in a situation and a couple of people would be talking and, and I think I have the perfect story to tell here. 
And I would start trying to tell the story, and it just wouldn't come out well. And I kind of felt discouraged, and it was kind of losing my voice a little bit more. And one evening, Whitney kind of seen me struggling. She said, hey, uh, Daniel, um, I feel really bad for your voice. I know it's kind of stressful. Uh, why, don't, why don't you let me tell your stories for you? I said, well, um, are, you, are you sure? I mean, how are you going to know what story I want to tell? And she said, oh, I know. Apparently, 17 years of marriage, <laughs> she knows what I'm about to tell the story about when we first met, or when I'm going to tell the story about when Austin did that thing, or when I'm going to tell the story about such, she, I mean, apparently after 17 years, she knows. And so I said, okay, maybe, maybe, let's give you, maybe you would know the story I'm going to tell, but would you be able to, to tell it the way that I tell it? And she said, word for word. She goes, I'm pretty sure I could do it word for word. Um, so apparently after 17 years, she knows not only what stories I'm going to tell and what circumstances, like, you know, I'm in this situation, but I know what this situation needs. It needs a story about such and such. She, she can sense that, and she knows how I want to tell that story as well because, again, she's heard it before. And on one hand, you can put that, that poor woman, 17 years of marriage, same stories over and over again, but, but I, I think it's kind of sweet. Um, you know, it's, it's sweet that she knows uh, <laughs> what I want to share and when I want to share it. Now, you and I, we're part of a church, and we have a story to tell also. You and I are, are part of a, of a church. We're a part of a church that has been called by God to glorify his name, and we've said that our church exists to glorify God as we proclaim his son, Jesus Christ, and as, we, as Lord, as we prepare his people to worship him forever. And yet sometimes, even though we have been tasked by God to proclaim his son, Jesus Christ, to tell the, the glorious story of the risen Lord, sometimes we've lost our voice. We're not sharing the story as we ought to share it. And why is that? I hope it's not because we don't love the story of the resurrection. I hope it's not because we don't find the story beautiful. Because indeed it, it is, as you and I, I'm sure all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ, would confess this is a, a beautiful, glorious story. Think about what Rachel just sang. The song that she sang right before I, I came up here, verse 1 began, See the destined day arise. See a willing sacrifice. Jesus, to redeem our loss, hangs upon the shameful cross. Jesus, who but you could bear wrath so great and justice fair. Every pang and bitter throw, finishing your life of woe. Who but Jesus could, could bear the wrath of God? And, and, and this day, the day that we're celebrating, commemorating today, is a day destined to arrive. It's a day that the, the prophets spoke of. It's, it's the resurrection day, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the song concludes, Holy Jesus, grant us grace in that sacrifice to place all our trust for life renewed, pardon sin, and promised good. In other words, based upon 
his perfect life and his perfect sacrifice, we can place our complete confidence in Jesus Christ. And then, grant us grace to sing your praise round your throne through endless days, ever with the sons of light, blessing, honor, glory, might. God, grant us the grace in in eternity future to be able to proclaim that day and and the glory of your son Jesus. God, give us the ability to proclaim and, and, and exalt his name. But God, also Please grant us the ability to sing your praises today, to proclaim that glorious story today and this afternoon and this next week. You and I have been given a glorious story to proclaim. Why do we sometimes lose our voice? What I want you to consider with me as we we look at these 11 verses here in Acts chapter 1 is simply this. Those of us who have witnessed the power of the resurrection, those of us who have witnessed the, the power of the resurrection, those of us who are believers can't help but proclaim the story that we've experienced. Those of us who are believers, those of us who have witnessed the power of the resurrection can't help but proclaim the glorious story that we've experienced. That's kind of the the thing that I want you to see as we look at these these first 11 verses kind of quickly this morning in Acts chapter 1. And there's a couple of things that I want us to think about together about what we proclaim and how we proclaim it and when we proclaim and where we proclaim. Here's the first thing that I want us to think about, what we proclaim as we're telling the glorious story of the resurrection, what is it that we say? And what we see here in the first few verses of Acts chapter 1 is the apostles are told to proclaim what they've witnessed. They proclaim what they've witnessed. And what have they witnessed? They've, they've, they've witnessed the resurrected Lord. So what do you and I proclaim? You and I are to proclaim what we have witnessed as well. What do we proclaim? We proclaim what we've been witness to. This past week, I was, I was in New York City, and, and as we were in New York City, we had just some, some neat interactions with, with people. And, and maybe you're like me. Sometimes you know that you want, to, you want to share the good news of the resurrection and Jesus Christ with people, but you kind of get in that, in that situation. You're not, story, you're not sure what story to tell and, and how to tell the story and, and how to fit the story into the circumstance. We were there in, in New York City, and we were... One day, for example, we were standing outside kind of near Central Park and struck up a conversation with a, with a man, and we began talking about where we were from, and he actually had been born in New York City, lived his, his whole life there. We, we talked about what he had done, where he'd worked, and, and he, he said, you know, actually, I, I worked for many years in the World Trade Center, one of the towers there. In fact, you know, I just left the, the, the company I worked for just shortly before 9-11. This is, in fact, uh, 40 of my colleagues uh, lost their lives that day, 9-11. He said, it's amazing how, how fate works. Now, now, what is that? That's 
there, there's, there's an opening there, right? There's, there's, a, there's a story for me to, to tell at that time. But, but what do we say? A few days later, we were near the Empire State Building. We were at a, a kind of a gift shop, and the, the owner of the gift shop looked at my family and said, my, what, what a beautiful family, which after several days in New York was a little bit of a stretch. Uh, he might have been trying to sell me something. I'm not sure. But my, what a, what a beautiful family. This is only, you're, you're so blessed. So blessed. God has blessed you. What, what, what is that? That's, there's an opportunity there. There's, there's a story for me to proclaim. Now, now, what do you say? What do we proclaim? In, in some ways, it's, it's hard. In other ways, it's very easy. What do we proclaim? We proclaim what we're witnesses to. For those of us who've been transformed by the gospel, who've encountered the resurrected Lord, we, we proclaim what we've witnessed. Now, now look, look at this passage. This, this story begins, again, it's a continuation of the gospel of Luke. Luke says, I'm, I'm writing to, to Theophilus, and Theophilus was perhaps a, a prominent person in Rome who'd, who'd become a believer, a high-ranking official perhaps. And Luke says, you know, remember, my, my first book focused on Jesus and, and his earthly ministry. Now we're, we're shifting to his ministry through his apostles. And he says, Jesus, as he began to prepare his disciples for this ministry, he tells them, I, I want you to testify, I want you to proclaim what you've been a witness to. And what have they witnessed? Look at verse 3. It says, Jesus presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs. What were they witnesses to? They were, they were witnesses to the resurrection. They had witnessed the cross and the resurrection. He, he presents himself. He, he shows himself alive, and, and he's offering many, many proofs, testifying to this, that the power of the resurrection. If you're in the Gospel of Luke and you come to Luke 24, you see that immediately after he is resurrected from the dead, Jesus is very concerned that people understand what's taken place says at the end of, of chapter, kind of toward the, the middle of the end of the Gospel of Luke, in the middle of Luke chapter 24, there's two disciples on the road to Emmaus who are talking with Jesus, not, res, not realizing it's, that it's the resurrected Lord. And they say, they, they, they tell Jesus that we had hoped that, that Jesus was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it's now the third day since these things happen. And Jesus, again, they don't realize it's him yet. It says, he says to these two guys, he says, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then it says, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, now this is very interesting because... Before the cross, when you're in the Gospel of Luke or, or the other Gospels, as people begin to realize who Jesus is, oftentimes he tells them, hey, don't say anything yet. And he says that because they don't, before the cross, they don't really understand who he is. They might say, well, we know you're the Messiah, but until the cross, they don't understand the fullness of what it means that he's the Messiah. Now comes the cross and, and the suffering of Jesus according to what the, the prophets have, have spoken. 
And, and then comes the resurrection, and now it's time for proclaiming. And now Jesus is very concerned that the people who encounter him understand the significance of what they're seeing, that they understand what they're witnessing. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast the word I preached to you. It comes in verse 3 and says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scripture. In other words, he says, here's the gospel message. Here's the message that is that is absolutely vital, that the most important message you could hear, that, that Jesus Christ, just as the Scriptures said he would, came. That he died on the cross for our sins, that he rose from the dead on the third day was, was prophesied by the Scriptures. He says that's, that's the central message, that's the message you need to believe as you place your trust in Christ alone for your salvation. And he says, says he was, that all that was done in accordance with the Scriptures, and, and then it says in verse 5 of 1 Corinthians 15, and, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared uh, to James, then to all the apostles. In other words, he says, Paul says, look, this, was, this is the most important message for a person to understand, the gospel message about the resurrected Lord and what he did, and there are witnesses to it. Peter was a, a witness. The twelve were witnesses. And then 500 other people, some of whom are still alive whenever Paul's writing this, is you, you can ask them about this. So Jesus, is, as he's here in Acts chapter 1, is saying, okay, here's Here's what you need. I want you to see. I, I've, I've risen from the dead. And, and, and here's the, he says in verse 3, he's also talking to them about the kingdom. So here's the kingdom of God that's coming. And, and here's who I am. And here's I'm the risen Lord. This is who you need to believe in in order to be a part of this kingdom. And then as you go through the book of Acts and as you go through the rest of the New Testament, you see that the disciples understand very clearly that their ministry is a ministry of witnessing what they have experienced. So, for example, you see Peter in Acts chapter 2 saying, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Acts chapter 3, Peter's speaking to the Jews, and he says, You killed the author of life whom God raised from the dead. To this we are our witnesses. In Acts chapter 5, he says, we are witnesses. This is Peter talking to the council. We are witnesses to these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Peter talks to Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, and he says, we are witnesses of all that Jesus did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And then in verse 41, he says that we are, we, we, um, we are those who have been chosen by God as witnesses. Do you get the idea that Peter... And the other disciples understand their ministry. They understand very clearly that their objective, their goal, is to proclaim what they have seen, what they have witnessed. 
And they do this whether they're before thousands of people or the Jewish council or one guy and his family. They proclaim what they're witnesses to. And you also get the sense that Peter didn't have to say, hey guys, uh, we're going to have a couple Bible studies. We're going to learn how to do this thing called evangelizing. And we're going to have three steps. And then here's what we're going to do. He didn't have to do that. Why? Because they had experienced something and they understood our task is, is to witness, is to proclaim what we've experienced, the power of the resurrection. When a person is excited about something, they're going to talk about it. Have you ever had a friend begin like a new diet or maybe a new exercise program or maybe they've, they, they start taking some new supplement or they start using some sort of oil-based oil product or something like that and, and, and they, they're excited about it and you never have to say, you know what, I just wish they'd share more about it. I wish they'd just, I wish they'd talk about it more. No, they're, they're excited. They're, they're, this, this thing is life-changing. This thing is, is kind of affecting all facets of their life and so they, they share about it, they talk about it. And you never have to say, hey, I was just wondering if you could just share a couple things with me. Kind of curious. It permeates their life. I was listening, you know, my, my kids tease me. I, you know, I was listening to these, these uh, productivity um, podcasts and, and kind of talking about the, the getting things done methodology. And, and what, what was funny to me as, as we were listening to some of these things on car rides and, and, and stuff like that over the last few weeks, what's interesting is how the people who are kind of into some of these methodologies use gospel-like terminology. This is going to change your life. This is going to affect so many aspects of, of what you, how you think. Um, here, and there was even like a podcast on how to tell your friends. You know, it's just, it's just funny, right? Now, things you're excited about, you share. What have you and I been witnesses to? For those of us who have believed the gospel, as Paul describes it in 1 Corinthians 15, we have experienced the power of the resurrection. Now, we haven't personally seen with our physical eyes a resurrected Lord, but for those of us who've been transformed by the gospel, we've experienced the power of the resurrection. And if we have ex truly experienced the power of the resurrection, then what are we going to do? We're going to talk about it. When we find ourselves on a street corner and a person is, is sharing with us about major moments in their life, we're going to say things like, hey, you know what? Here's how I've seen God work in my life. And isn't it amazing how, how gracious God is to us and, and, and through his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to be in a, a moment where we're, we're with our, our family member and we're going to be sharing just, just, look, here's what the Lord has done to me. This is who I am. This is how this has affected my life. What do we proclaim? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the good news that we are sinners. We proclaim what, what Jesus proclaimed to his disciples as he talked about, to them about the kingdom. We proclaim that there's a kingdom that God is establishing that we are not naturally a part of, but that, that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live a perfect life, to die and pay the penalty for our sins according to the scriptures, what the scriptures said he would do, that he rose from the dead, and now we can place our trust and our confidence in that Confidence in that risen Lord, Jesus Christ. 
And as we continue to place our faith in Jesus Christ, we continue to find him good, and we continue to find him precious in all circumstances. And we talk about it. What do we proclaim? We proclaim the gospel. We proclaim the risen Lord. How do we proclaim? How do we proclaim? Look what happens next in the passage. Verse 6 it says, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Now, how do we proclaim? The good news that we see in these verses is that you and I proclaim not on the basis of our own authority, but through God's enabling. And first of all, we, we see this in two ways. First of all, we see that there are details of God's kingdom plan that are not fully known to us. The disciples are, are asking God, if he, Jesus, if he's going to restore the kingdom to Israel. And he says, look, this is very gently, but it kind of puts them in their place. This isn't, this isn't your responsibility to know this. It's not your kingdom plan. This is a, a plan that God has fixed by, by his authority. When I was uh, young maybe young 18, 17-year-old, I began to work at, at Walmart. And it didn't take me very long to realize that, that, that Walmart was not really interested in, in hiring me for my strategic vision. You know? They didn't say, Daniel, uh, we want to talk to you about um, your plans to control uh, shrinkage through theft and, and best way to handle the payroll. And, and we just, here's some policies, but we really want your input. That was not the case. Uh, they said, look, Here's your job. We want you to go around and we want you to, to straighten the shoes in the shoe department. Laces in the box. Pretty simple. Limited, limited authority. I didn't even get to decide which shoes to put in which boxes. Right? When we talk about the kingdom of heaven, there should be some comfort here. There are details of, of God's kingdom plan that aren't fully known to us, and, and sometimes it can be overwhelming if we think, I'm, I'm responsible for all this. Being in, in New York City, um, it turns out it's really big. Uh, New York City is very large, eight and a half million people. And, and there, there are buildings there that are, that are so large, you can't even see them if you're standing in front of them. You have to get several blocks away to, to really look at a building. It's, it's overwhelming. And to think about, you know, we're, we're on the subway and, you know, I, I think I touched a rail that eight and a half million people had touched previously. And, you know, just all of these people, so diverse. And we're, we're talking with our, our kids and you, you feel very, very tiny and, and very over, over, overwhelmed. Like the idea that, that you could somehow be responsible for sharing the gospel with eight and a half million people in your city, it, it's just, it'd be mind boggling. God's got it planned out. It's not my responsibility to decide how God uses me in his kingdom plan. It's not my responsibility to decide who God does and doesn't bring into his kingdom and when he brings them into his kingdom. So how do I, what do I do? How do I proclaim? You know, it's not even my responsibility to decide how God uses members of my own family and when he uses them. I don't come to God and say, God, you know what, um, got some kingdom plans for you and some great ideas about, about my involvement. That's not how this works. So, so, so how does it work? Look at what the beginning of verse 8 says. It says, 
you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. God's kingdom plan is not fully known to me, and and the fuel to perform the ministry comes from God and not me. Earlier in this this chapter, remember you saw in verse 2 that he gave commands through his Holy Spirit. You come into verse 5, he says, uh, wait for the promise of the Father. That's talking about the Holy Spirit. Then you come to verse 5, it says you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, now how was the Holy Spirit promised? You come to the book of Isaiah, and it says the, the Spirit will be poured upon us from on high. Joel chapter 2 talks about how God's going to pour out his Spirit on all flesh, and, and miraculous things are going to take place. Then verse 32 of Joel 2, and, and Peter, Peter quotes Joel 2, it says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Now, now this is an amazing thing, right? God is in, in charge of this kingdom plan. And as I think this morning on, on an Easter Sunday, just you know, even as I was thinking this past week about there are going to be people in our church on Sunday who, who maybe have never heard the gospel, or there are going to be people who are coming into church for the first time in a long time. How do I, how do I communicate the story in such a way that it will resonate? How do I, and, and there's a certain responsibility I have for that, but at the same time, this isn't my deal. I, I don't get to decide what message to preach on a Sunday in terms of what the gospel is. The gospel is what God has decreed the gospel is. And the good news is that ultimately it is not my responsibility to force a person to accept the gospel message. It is the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. And I have certainly been praying for you this week that the Holy Spirit would be working in your hearts this morning. The Holy Spirit was promised. It's promised that he would arrive, and everyone who calls in the name of the Lord would be saved. Galatians refers to the promised spirit, the promised spirit that the Gentiles could receive through faith. Ephesians 1 says, in, in him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, you were sealed with the, the promised Holy Spirit. And then we see the, the promised Holy Spirit empowering ministry throughout the book of Acts. Again, Peter in chapter 2 says, you've received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, later in verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is the, the promise for you and for your children, for all who are far off. We're not in charge of the ultimate strategic vision. We don't offer alternative plans for Easter Sunday. We don't say, you know what, instead of preaching the word, we're going to do a, a carnival or just build a, build a big something that will attract people to maybe like, like Jesus a little bit more. This is a freeing truth. It's freeing and that my job isn't to build buildings or make a great name for my organization or become, an, uh, become this or become that or have the esteem of this person or that person. Your task and my primary task is to make disciples. And in terms of who is responsible for the fruit, it's freeing and that it's all the Holy Spirit working in people's hearts. That's how we proclaim. We proclaim through, through God's enabling, not our own, as we proclaim the resurrected Lord. Where do we proclaim? Look at, look at the last part of verse 8. 
word do we proclaim? So we have this message of the resurrected Lord, and, 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 and we trust the Holy Spirit to be working through us now. Now, where do we go? And look at, well, look what Jesus says. He says, you'll be my witnesses. And again, we, we love that, that, that phrase, witnesses. It's a, it's a phrase that we saw in the Old Testament as well. Isaiah 43, verse 9 says, all the nations gather together, the peoples assemble. Whom among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right and let them hear and say it is true. But God says, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord in Isaiah 43, verse 10. And my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So in Isaiah, God, God prophesies that, that we are going to be his witnesses to the nations. Isaiah 49.6 says, I will, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And notice here there's this, this, there's this geographical expansion here at the end of, of verse 8. It says, where are you going to be my witnesses? You're going to be my witnesses in, in Jerusalem. That's, that's where they are immediately. And then, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Judea and Samaria. That's the, the surrounding region, the, 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 the reign of the, the Davidic kingdom, kind of the realm there. And, and then some of the, the non-Jewish people, the, the Gentiles there in Samaria. And then to the ends of the earth, all the nations. So, so where do we proclaim? We proclaim wherever we find ourselves. And in fact, this is a hard truth, but if you're there in Acts 1, turn over to Acts chapter 8. There in Acts chapter 8, it's right after Acts 7 where Stephen has been martyred. Stephen is stoned, and you begin in Acts chapter 8, this, this ominous verse, verse 1 and Saul approved of his execution. This is Saul who's going to become Paul. He approves of Stephen's execution. And it says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. So where are they going to be as witnesses? In Jerusalem. Where are they right now? They're in Jerusalem. What happens? Persecution. And what happens to the church in Jerusalem as it's persecuted? It says they were scattered throughout the regions. And where were they scattered to? Judea and Samaria. And where was the next place there to be as witnesses? Judea and Samaria. It says, verse 4, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Here's a hard truth. Sometimes, as we think about our ministry of proclamation, we say, okay, um, you know, I know I need to talk about Jesus, but right now I'm kind of going through a hard time, and I just kind of need some time for me to heal. Or I need to kind of get through this, this life circumstance, and then I'll kind of think more about my faith and how to share it. Here's, here's what God tells us in his word. You're to be my witnesses. And you're to be my witnesses in whatever context you find yourself. And then the beautiful promise of the Great Commission and what we see at the end of Luke 24 and what we see here in Acts chapter 1 is that, that God's kingdom is going to be proclaimed. And God, because he's in charge of the kingdom plan, is going to use a variety of means for us to proclaim the glory of the risen Lord. And sometimes what's going to happen is God is going to use difficult circumstances in our lives, like, like persecution, as he does here in Acts chapter 1. And, and through, that, through that process of, of 
pushing us and prodding us and causing difficult things to enter our life, the power of the resurrected Lord is going to be proclaimed in our lives. Where do we proclaim? We proclaim the power of the resurrected Lord in every situation, in every place we find ourselves. We're constantly sharing this news that excites and permeates our lives. We're actively pursuing others. We're supporting people who are sharing this message in other places. We have a passion, a passion to see Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord, worshiped as Savior in every part of the world. This morning when I woke up, I had a a text message, and I, I opened the text message, and it was from a believer in a closed country, and it was it was a it was a picture of our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ worshiping Him in a country where it was illegal for many of them to to proclaim His name, and God has caused that to happen in that community where where this this text came from from our brother and sisters in in that area. He's caused that to happen through suffering for some people, loss of life for others. Where do we proclaim? We proclaim the resurrected Lord wherever we find ourselves. When do we proclaim? When we proclaim, we see this in verses 9 through 11, when we proclaim, we, we proclaim until he comes. We proclaim until he returns. It says, when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. As we think about what's taking place here, we understand this. The disciples' ministry of proclaiming what they were witnesses to was to continue until Jesus came back. And today, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, here in April 2017, he hasn't come back yet. Now, maybe he will before we leave this room, maybe he will before the end of the day, maybe before the end of the week, the month, whenever. But in, until that time comes, our task is very, very clear. We're to proclaim. We're to proclaim. I saw recently a, a kind of a humorous article from, from last year. It was, it was a compilation of, of uh, several terrible plays. In fact, in fact the, the title of the article was, So You Dropped the Ball Before You Scored a Touchdown. It was a compilation of, of some videos, some just stories of 40 guys in the NFL who had gotten right up to the end zone and, and started celebrating a little early. <laughs> Spiked the ball, dropped the ball, started dancing around, and realized too late, I am not where I thought I was. All of us can think of brothers and sisters friends, acquaintances, co-laborers who, who stop short. 
who didn't cross the finish line. The good news of the gospel is this. Jesus Christ has died for our sins and rose from the dead, and now I can place my faith in a resurrected Savior. The gospel message is that simple, saying, okay, I recognize that I'm a sinner, that I deserve God's wrath. Someone else has taken that wrath for me, and I'm placing my confidence fully in him. And the, the, the beautiful thing is that by God's grace, I have the ability to proclaim that message right now. I don't know what's going to happen in the next moment, but in this moment, I know that I have that ability to do so. And so I proclaim that beautiful story, the story of a resurrected Lord that has transformed my life. I proclaim it to my family. I proclaim it to my friends. I proclaim it to my my, my friends in school. I proclaim it to the person on the, the street who's just talking about what's going on in their life. I share what's going on in mine. Brothers and sisters, to those of us who've encountered the, the power of a resurrected Savior, we can't help but tell that story. The story fits in the circumstances because we love the story so dearly. Let's pray. Father, we do love the story. We love the story because we love you. We pray that our, our faith and our trust would be in your Son, Jesus, alone for our salvation, that you would cause us to rightly worship you through faith in your son Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.